everyone, and welcome to season 10 of Be Her Talk with Selena Hill, an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of hip-hop, AOC, and spice to unflavored news. Every Sunday, I discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic Black millennial perspective. And of course, I give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and I will read them throughout this show. And today's a special edition of Be Heard because I'm also streaming on Instagram Live. So shout out to the IG folks, Alicia, Alex. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're also streaming on Our World Media Guys, I, I wish you guys could see some of the behind the scenes here. We have like three cameras, two streams, three lights, and the best engineer I could ask for. So shout out to Joe Swift. It is a lot going on. And we also have a great, great show today. So I'm super excited to talk about all of the hottest, biggest stories of the week. Everything from the passing of Juneteenth as a federal holiday to a police officer who ran over a gunshot victim while he was laying in the middle of the road while talking to a dispatcher. And of course he was black. And then the Proud Boys leader is reportedly selling Black Lives Matter t-shirts because he's short of cash. Yeah, I can't make this stuff up. And then later on in the show, we'll address long-standing conversations around colorism in the Latinx community sparked by Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights musical, which is being criticized for not casting actors in main roles. Well, not just actors, Afro-Latinx actors. We're not seeing it. So definitely we need to talk about colorism there. So I'll also be paying tribute to Black dads in celebration of Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers and fathers-to-be. And remember to please support Be Her Talk by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash BeHerTalk. Your support through a small donation will help us continue to support the issues and the causes that you care about. Now, without further ado, I have two of my absolute faves joining me for the entire show. First up, we have former be Heard Talk co-host himself, Stanley Fritz, who serves as the New York State Political and Campaigns Director at Citizen Action of New York. He is also the co-founder and writer of Let's Not Be Trash. Well, first off, Selena, before I say hi, the best engineer you've had? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I, I, I see, I, all right, heard you, heard you. No, Stanley, you know I had to throw shade because I missed you, bro. I'm happy you're here. Listen, Joe, I won Best Engineer four times while I was at SUNY Old Westbury. Come see me, beloved. Now, what's going on, y'all? This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite, well, former um, engineer on the PC ones and twos. I'm really happy to be back. A little bit rusty, but really excited to be here with you folks and talk all the mess because the mess is here. Also, if you guys did not leave some hot wings to Hennessy for Harriet Tubman the night before Juneteenth, you're doing Juneteenth wrong. But I'm hyped to be here, Celine. What are we talking about? I can't. Okay. I don't know about anybody doing Juneteenth wrong. But anyway, we also have another one of my faves, media personality, Karina Cabreja. She is joining us as well. Karina is always a burst of sunshine and information. So super happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Selena. How am I even going to follow up to what Stanley just said? That was, Stanley, that was a lie you just gave us. I'm always happy to be here with the two of you, my old West peeps, my alum brother and sister. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. 
and all the stepdads. Y'all don't get enough recognition. So wait, Karina, happy not a Father's Day as well to kings like me who have not had children yet. Keep on keeping on, beloveds. Keep on keeping on. Keep wrapping it up. Yeah. All right. On that note, I'm gonna actually throw it over to Karina, who's gonna give us a rundown of some of the biggest stories of the week. Again, the ones that made us laugh, cry, or go on a profanity-laced Twitter rant and almost get canceled. That happens to Stanley on a weekly basis. But Karina, I'm throwing it to you. Thank you so much, Selena. All right, let's talk Juneteenth. Juneteenth recognizes recognizes, excuse me, the day in 1865 that Union troops arrived in Galveston, Texas to inform enslaved people of their freedom about two and a half years after President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. It is now considered a federal holiday after Biden signed the bill to make it official. But it's interesting, you know, to be in Texas at a time like this, to see the juxtaposition between what looks like progress and taking steps backwards at the same time. Um, here locally, 94-year-old Opal Lee Bless her heart. She's been marching all the way to DC every year on Juneteenth to try to make it a national holiday. She's had petitions signed with over a million signatures. And finally, y'all, this year, she's she feels rewarded, finally. But it's also indicative of the society we live in. And it's reflective even of the holiday we're honoring, right? Because why did it take so long for Miss Juneteenth, that she's been coined, to feel that sense of fulfillment? And even more so, we're living in a state where at the same time, the governor is pushing to ban education surrounding Juneteenth and other race theory cu curriculum and how it's affected American history. So Selena, does this bill in that regard seem performative to you? Selena's so shocked she can't even get the words I out. I know, I can't even hear her. <laughs> Listen, Karina, I'm Sorry. happy. Sorry, I was on mute. But no, Karina, what, what I was saying is that that's a great question. I have very mixed feelings about the passage of the bill. Obviously, it's a celebratory time because it's a step forward, right? Mm -hmm. Acknowledging the freedom of enslaved African-Americans up until 1865, which was two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, um, and acknowledging it on a federal level is a step towards progress and change. However, Black folks need more than just a paid day off. I mean, uh, it right. doesn't really ensure the political power of our communities that we need to sustain. It doesn't really, you know, ensure an equal level playing field. But, you know, to Miss Opal, who you mentioned, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It, it sucks that, what is this woman, like 90 something? Like 94. it took 94 years old and it's finally happening. I thank God that she lived to see that this happen based on her activism uh, and organizing, but you know, it's a long time coming. And I mm -hmm. do think that, you know, a lot of folks were like, okay, yes, we get a three day weekend, but everybody gets it. So white folks are benefiting from it too. So again, a lot of mixed feelings for me. Now, Nancy Pelosi then pulled what can only be considered a Pelosi after she had a group of lawmakers join her in singing the Black National Anthem. And she didn't even know the words, child. She didn't even know the words. This is very reminiscent of that Kente Cloth fiasco in 2020 in the midst of the George Floyd outcry. Stanley, is this just a cringeworthy, empty, symbolic gesture? Or do you think that this is meaningful allyship on her behalf? This is like a tweet I saw earlier this week where the guy said, his white boss texted him and said, hey, since it's Juneteenth this Friday, do you want us to order soul food? It's white <laughs> people trying to be nice and trying to be allies, but just doing it all wrong. At this point, I, I think Nancy Pelosi means well, but she's like an 83 year old white woman. She don't know no better. Either way, the clip is hilarious. In <laughs> we, case we 
Do we have a clip of this? If we, not, do, we should have it. Yes, we do. All right, let's, cool. let's take a look. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Now, Nancy, you know you could have learned the words, girl. You know you could have tried to at least learn the words. I was, it was just a lot for me, but I, I hear what you're saying. She's she's trying her best, I suppose. Now, look, this is one of those moments when you say, uh, to Selena's point, okay, and what else, right? I liken this situation to the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, which was only considered a massacre recently. It happened in 1921, and it wasn't until the 80s that the Tulsa Race Riot Commission was created. Uh, trying to get reparations for survivors and investigating the actual truth of what happened. And what the survivors got instead were medals, trivializing the suffering that they'd endured. And at that point, they were in their 90s, right? So do you think that this is the same or do you think that our current leaders will seek actual change in legislation to fix police brutality, marginalization within our communities, the disproportionate distribution of wealth and all these other issues that are going on that are race-related? Yeah, Adrena, again, again, another another great point, because, you know, to your point, we don't need performative action and performative justice. We need real restorative justice. And for me, that's reparations. Um, if the House can work so quickly to pass this into and make this a, a federal law, then why can't they pass H.R. 40, which is the commission or, or to study and develop reparation proposals for African-Americans? Mm -hmm. Again, this is this is deeper than okay acknowledgement. That's the first step. But we have to also look at the fact that what 60% of black and brown people are actually housed in prisons right now. So the systemic the, the systems of slavery have only evolved, right? It, it's mm -hmm. definitely not as bad, but there's still systems in place that are keeping us back and oppressing us. And that's just one thing. You can look at housing, uh, you can look at the discrimination there, you can look at the wealth gap. I mean, right. it just goes on and on. Education, there are a number of issues where black people have been held back and cannot uh, uh, really move forward. So, hey, if you wanna acknowledge the legacy of slavery, then do something about it with some real action. Right. And reparations. Y'all better put your money where your mouth is and stop playing. Okay, we're going to take a quick sad trip from Texas over to Ohio, where a police officer is currently on paid leave after she ran over a gunshot victim, Eric Eugene Cole, with a cruiser. The victim later died, unfortunately. He was 42 oh. years old. Officer Amanda Rosales was responding to a 911 call uh, at 11.15 p.m. She said it was dark and that she didn't see him. Here is the clip. From what we are initially piecing together, remember this is all under investigation. The lead officer was trying to catch the addresses on the house. Uh, Eric was lying in the street. 
as you can see from the videos, and the officer did not see him and struck him with their vehicle. Now, you didn't catch the mom or family member, uh, you know, crying out desperately saying, there's no way she didn't see him. There's no way. And from that dash cam footage, I mean, it's really hard to miss his body lying there. Um, we see it plain as day, uh, even though it was nighttime. And this is considered by this, the chief of police in Springfield, another accident. He says that they're doing an internal investigation, uh, but that he does think that she meant no harm. Selena Stanley, this seems all too familiar. What is your response to response to this incident, excuse me. Is this a unique one? Was it an accident or is this still part of the larger problem that we continue to see repeating itself? Yeah, so we actually got a comment from Michael R. Haisler who says the family needs to sue the police officers here. I, I agree. I think this is a matter of negligence and that the officer needs to be prosecuted for manslaughter. When anyone else negligently kills somebody, they are held accountable. This officer is on paid leave. Mm -hmm. They are not arrested. And the tragedy here is not only did this happen, but they didn't even, the police officers didn't even tell the family initially what happened. What they said was, you know, Eric Cold, who was the victim, he was shot and, you know, someone um, ran him over. It wasn't till later that they realized it was a police officer that took this man out. And Eric Cole was on the phone with the dispatcher and literally said, they just hit me. The dispatcher said, who? And he said, the police officers. So he, he lived to even feel the impact of that. And it's, it's a sad, it is so sad. And officers need to be held accountable because they are not above the law. Yeah, and it, ju it just goes to show you uh, the the police, the culture within the police force, how they have each other's backs, even when they're not right. Um, she should definitely be held accountable. Stanley, do you have any comments to add about that? I'm just kind of shocked. Like, the, it was pretty clear that he was on the floor. So, yeah. It, it, it could have still been an accident, maybe, I guess. But the way the police handled it, you didn't tell the family she struck him with, with a, no, you, she ran over somebody. This is egregious. But, you know, what do you expect from the police? Because even when things might be an accident, you can't trust them because they refuse to ever be held accountable. Blue lives don't matter. Ooh, and that's that on that, Stanley. Okay, ciao. Well, uh, to turn to turn the tide a little bit, uh, Chrissy has been all over the blogosphere because she uh, was a bully. I mean, that's that. On Monday, she came back from a long break from the internet after tweets came out where she'd been bullying model Courtney Stodden, leaving her comments in her DMs to quote unquote, just kill herself or saying, I can't wait for you to die. She suffered mental health issues as a result. And after Chrissy apologized publicly, designer Michael Costello said, hold up, hold my beer. I've got things to say about Chrissy too. And he said he had thoughts of suicide after she accused him of being a racist saying, uh, I hope that story keeps your already dead career going. You might as well be dead. And Chrissy said, not today, honey, the devil is alive. She said on Instagram, I have no idea what the F Michael Costello is doing. You are now causing actual pain for people who are trying to better themselves enough or this will go further. Not here, but in an actual court of law. Now, look, I don't know how to feel about this at all. On the one hand, I'd say that cancel culture sometimes is dangerous and that it doesn't allow the person an opportunity to grow. But when someone comes forward with trauma they've experienced as a result of somebody's bullying, you can't discount it. So how do we feel about this whole Chrissy situation? Does the what? Does the block button not work? Mm. Like what? Like what is this? <laughs> Just block him. Block her. 
I don't like. I don't. Like, you, you don't. You don't have to read her direct messages. You know what time it is. And like, yeah, I'm sorry. I just like. I have a hard time with grown adult people saying they're being cyberbullied. Just block somebody or get off social media. People, people are too obsessed with the internet. They want to be on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram. Go outside and touch some grass. I will say though, Stanley, words are words are hurtful. You can't. Yeah, that's you can I mean, adults, adults have feelings too. They can be cyber bullied as well. Yeah, adults can, you can block, but you still get. I mean, the the words still have an impact on your psyche, depending on where you are mentally, right? I hear that, but press the block button or call your girlfriend and handle it for you. You think somebody's gonna talk to me like that, and I'm gonna tell oh, somebody I love that somebody said that to me, and they're just gonna let us fly? Like I don't like people have to have some kind of agency here. He's an adult. I'm sorry. Selena, how do you feel? Woo, that's a hot take from Stanley. Um, so, so here's how I feel about, you know, cyberbullying. A, a lot of these accounts from Chrissy Teigen um, happened years ago, right? It, it was first against Courtney Stodden, uh, mm -hmm. who said they were bullied uh, about a decade ago. And then I think this incident when Michael supposedly happened in 2014 and 2015, I, I think that people, we have to give people room to grow and evolve. And what I caution people to do, because I'm, bullying is always wrong, but when we sort of pinpoint it on one person and we say, this is the bully, they should be canceled, we're absolving all of our roles in bullying and culture, right? Because a lot of us saw that tweet or we see the tweets, we retweet it, we laugh at it to ourselves. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, we all, we can't just make it seem like, bullying is just one bully. It's it's a systemic problem that needs to be addressed. And to Stanley's point, you know, cyberbullying is a thing. So I don't want to trivialize it or, or be dismissive. But I do think that we need to help students and young children learn better coping skills because bullying is also a part of life. And for many of us, it's what builds us and makes us more resilient and strong. Not everyone's going to like you. And, and sometimes the only way to defeat a bully is to stand up. So that's a, that's a good point. Uh, there is a fine line though, between um, bullying somebody and borderline harassing them. I don't know that that's this, the case between Michael Costello and Christy Teigen. I actually love her. So this is a really tough one for me. Um, but I do agree with you that I think that people need room to grow and evolve. This was 10 years ago. I mean, the well, girls changed at this point. But children, but children they still learn social skills. And kids these days, like they're coming into a generation where everything is online. But this is a grown adult human being. Just block her. Why, like, <laughs> like, That's I'm, like a thesis statement. Just like, block her. Yeah, like, oh. like go to therapy and block her. I don't understand why people are doing this. It's well, like, oh, she said these harmful things to me eight years ago that I never said anything about. She has no power over my life. She can't impact my career, but she was really mean in my DMs that I gave her access to because I accepted her direct message. <laughs> Rachel yeah. Johnson, Rachel Johnson has a comment. Thank you for that, Stanley. Uh, Rachel Johnson via Facebook says, oh my God, that's awful for her to say, meaning Chrissy, Chrissy, I like her energy on that show, Lip Sync Battle, but this is not good for Chrissy. I think people are still gonna support Chrissy. Of course, I mean, nobody's perfect, right? Everybody makes mistakes and she's owned up to it. And I think that that's one of the things that makes people more um, able to embrace you when you apologize and own up and take accountability for what you've done. So I'm still team Chrissy. Speaking of the tea, since we're uh, on some hot tea, the mayoral race in New York is just as hot. 
The Democratic primary goes down this Tuesday on the 22nd. I'm not currently in New York, but I keep seeing the hashtag anybody but Yang pop up. Some are calling this the most unpredictable race. A lot of the heavy hitters in this race have never run before. Stanley, can you just give us a brief summary of what's going on and what we should expect when heading to the polls on Tuesday? Yeah, pretty much. New York City is like trying to transition out of the COVID um, pandemic, even though COVID is still here for, for better or worse. And what that's looked like is a city that is like very clear about some things that they need and also very unclear about who's going to bring those things they need. So there's been a rise in crime across the country and people are not feeling safe. And some moderate Democrats have taken advantage of that. And that's how you get folks like Eric Adams, a man who may or may not live in New York City and had a whole press conference where he gave people a tour around his Brooklyn apartment with his mm. totally used mattress that did not look brand new. Or Andrew Yang, a guy who literally left New York City during the pandemic to, and moved to New Paltz and a couple of weeks ago said, you know what we should do? We should have domestic violence shelters in New York. Why don't we have those? New York does have domestic violence shelters. And along with saying those things, he's also said, homeless people have rights, but so do I, and I don't need to see them. So what you're seeing right now is a race where the former direct, the director of sanitation, Catherine Garcia, a woman whose biggest accomplishment has been being good at her job in sanitation, could win the mayor's race. And Maya Wiley is the last progressive candidate standing. I'm putting my support behind Maya Wiley because I want somebody in the mayor's office who does not think that the way that you help kids learn better is by putting more clubs cops on their blocks or in their schools. And Andrew Yang doesn't know anything about New York City. And I'd rather not support somebody who's pretty, whose campaign is being run by the NYPD's PR department. Ooh. All right, New York, put your ballot where your mouth is. That's it for our news roundup. And now back to you, Selena. Thank you so much for that, Karina. So now we're going to go to some of the stories that made me say, really, this week. First off, Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio is reportedly so broke that he has resorted to selling Black Lives Matter and anti-Trump t-shirts. Yeah, I honestly could not make this up even if I tried. Mind you, as the leader of the infamous Nazi-loving group, Enrique was once arrested for burning Black Lives Matter banners. But, oh my, have the tables turned. He revealed that his organization of white nationalists and racists can no longer access capital via banks and credit card companies because apparently being associated with the insurrectionists who stormed the U.S. Capitol isn't a really good look for businesses. So, look, for us, let's just take this as a reminder to be careful who we spend our money with when buying Black Lives Matter merch. We don't want our money going to the wrong people, clearly. And now, the second and last story that made me say, really, this week is Joe Biden getting feisty with the press. Let's play the clip. Why are you so confident he'll change his behavior, Mr. President? Yeah, I'm not confident changing behavior. What the hell? What do you do all the time? So, when did I say I was confident? You said I said, in the next six I months, said able to what it. I said was, let's get it straight. I said, what will change their behavior is that the rest of the world reacts to them and it diminishes their standing in the world. I'm not confident of anything. I'm just stating the fact. But given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks. He downplayed human rights abuses. He even refused to say Alexei Navalny's name. 
So how does that account to a constructive meeting as President, President Putin? Friday? You don't understand that. You're in the wrong business. It's a summit with China. Look, Joe Biden was giving me grandpa has had it up to here. You better shut your mouth type of energy. Look, Joe, we all have our hard days, but he's also channeling that notorious energy that Donald Trump had when he was attacking reporters almost every single day in the White House. I get it. We all need some grace and we all need to take a time out. I'm happy that Joe Biden has since apologized for his actions and maybe he needs again to just take a little rest because he seemed like he's getting a little too riled up. But that's it for all the stories that made me say really this week. And now I'm going to throw it back to Karina, who needs to make something that does not make any sense to me make sense. Karina. All right. So if you've seen me on the show before, you know my love for Jennifer Lopez runs deep, honey. My love for Jennifer, though, not so much. Okay, here's why. When they were first together in 2003, they did a few interviews and he was so arrogant and she was just so giddy, it was disgusting. He was giving very much, I'm such a heartthrob and you love me. And she was giving me, yes, Ben, you belong on a pedestal. Anyway, times have changed, people have grown. So I was growing used to this relationship, right? And don't get it twisted. I don't even acknowledge the whole conversation about the amount of partners she should or shouldn't have just because she's a woman, because it's 2021 and she can do whatever she wants. My thing is, did you give yourself time to heal, though? You were with Era two minutes ago. When did you take the time to self-reflect, to mourn the loss of the relationship with the man you were going to marry? Look, some say this whole thing is a publicity stunt, but I digress. This isn't what this is about. This is about the most current display of PDA we saw from Benefer that really was the straw that broke the camel's back for me, okay? It wasn't the intense making out. It's what happened after, when they were done lip-locking. When her son Max, little baby 13-year-old Max, rolled up into the shot to show his mama and new steppapa, apparently, something on his phone. Take a look. All right, well, you didn't see Max in that shot, but he just, right after that, he just rolled up in the shot, okay? So obviously he was present at the table somewhere. Now look, I've got my own kinds of daddy issues, but that's gotta be the reverse, right? That's gotta cause another set of issues, right? Like she was out here playing house with A-Rod. Their children were damn near siblings. And now you're seeing your mama kissing a new man two minutes later? Does this not confuse the children? Does that not cause instability? Dang, J-Lo, do you, boo-boo? But keep the kids out of it. Make it make sense, Lord. And Ben, I guess happy Father's Day. I mean, you you just got two new kids. I mean, I don't, I guess that's what it is. That's it for me. Make it make sense. I don't get it. It, it is what it is. Well, <laughs> well, Karina, I just want to say thank you because you're right. The situation doesn't make sense, but that was brilliant. Bravo to you. And J-Lo, I, I don't know, girl. I, I was I was rooting. I'm still rooting for her, but to Karina's point, yeah, uh, it, it was I'm, just a little too soon for me as well, and probably the kids. I'm but, with Sydney. Diddy's been shooting his shot forever. <laughs> Go ahead, Stanley. Listen, meanwhile, Aaron is probably somewhere crying off all of his bronzer, somewhere sick. He's like, I'm the home run king, and she's going with the worst Batman? This is ghetto. <laughs> Poor Aaron. Keep your head up, King. You're going to find the man of your life. 
It's so funny. So Bianca Park uh, left a comment via Facebook saying, what about her business partnerships? Her and A-Rod own teams. Then her and Mark Anthony own other things. I, I mean, Karina, that's your girl. She goes into business with her love, her, her love interest at the time. And then it just all breaks apart. Like what happens? I try not to judge, but it's just too messy for me. It was when the kids got involved, child. That's when I had to draw the line because I'm a mother. And it's just, it's too messy. I mean, she needs to just kind of sit down for a second and get it together. I'm rooting for you, girl, but you need to stop. Okay, and Shakira Horenda says she is super messy. We're going to have to leave it there uh, and keep things moving. Now it's time to talk about the movie everyone is talking about and the issues that it sparked around colorism in the Latinx community, addressing anti-Blackness in the Latinx community. So, as I said, we can't stop raving about In the Heights, the highly anticipated musical written by Lin-Manuel Mirandana that originally opened on Broadway in 2008. Now, the film follows a Latinx community in New York City's Washington Heights neighborhood amid a rise of gentrification. The characters are young, we see some old, some are documented, some are undocumented, some are first-generation college students. They're Dominican, they're Puerto Rican, and they're Cuban. They talk about what it's like in their family home, some talk about what it's like to be denied papers. And of course, we see the struggle to make it out of their neighborhood. However, after being released in theaters and HBO Max earlier this month, many expressed disappointment at the lack of Afro-Latinos in leading roles in the Heights. Critics say it missed an opportunity to combat longstanding issues of colorism in the Latinx community and Hollywood at large. Now... Lynn has since acknowledged the criticism, posting mm -hmm. a statement on Twitter apologizing for insufficient representation of dark-skinned Afro-Latinx people. He says, and I quote, I'm trying to hold space for both the incredible pride in the movie we made and be accountable for our shortcomings. He goes on to say, I promise to do better in my future projects and I'm dedicated to the learning and evolving we all have to do to make sure we are honoring our diverse and vibrant community, end quote. But the issues of colorism and anti-Blackness in the Latinx community go far beyond this musical and Hollywood. So we wanted to spend some time really unpacking the roots of this issue and talk about solutions. So Karina, I want to start this conversation with you as a Dominican American who actually grew up in Washington Heights, mm -hmm. what was your reaction to the film and the backlash it's receiving over the lack of representation of Afro-Latino actors and actresses? I, you know, I was a little nervous about this segment, I'm, even though I, um, I was part of the conversation where I thought it was important to mention it because as you mentioned, I am Dominican from the Heights, but when I watch the movie and watch the film, I would love to say that I was outraged immediately, but I felt pride, like I swole with pride, an enormous sense of, I felt represented. I felt like finally a story is being told about my neighborhood, about my people uh, that has never been told before through that lens, right? Because every time we see uh, Latinx people on TV, it's very stereotypical um, or it's, it's one story being told over and over again. So I was very proud. However, it wasn't until after I started reading the backlash that the movie was getting and the criticism that I said, you know what he did, he missed. 
he did miss. And it's just like that, that even that little piece is proof of the ingrained colorism issue that we have in the Latinx household in our own upbringing, right? Because not only did he miss representing Afro-Latinos, but African-Americans live in the Heights too, right? And there was none of, like, we didn't see any of that in the film. Um, and so I realized that that was part of the oblivion and the ignorance that we live in. And it's the byproduct of the colorism in, in these Latinx communities that already exist. And that I even myself am a conduit of without realizing it. Uh, part of my upbringing has been unlearning and unpacking those nuances, right? Um, but the, that if it ain't white, it ain't right. That's kind of like the subtlety that we don't really talk about overtly, but it comes out in these different ways. And the truth is, is that there is a lack of representation um, in, for Afro-Latino roles. and there aren't enough Afro-Latino roles to begin with. So um, I will say that. Well, Michael R. Haisler left a comment via LinkedIn. He says, it's fine. He did Hamilton. Let him be. Bianca disagrees via Facebook. She says he fell into the whitewash society. He should have known better. Now I question Lynn's judgment. Stanley, mm. I want to get your take. What was your reaction to the musical? And again, the backlash that it's receiving. I loved it. Um, I'm Haitian, and so that means I'm like at least 4% Dominican. I change that percentage every other day. Um, last week I was 15% Dominican. But yeah, I, the backlash was happening for a while, so I knew about it, but that movie came on, and I'll tell you, I felt nothing but pride and appreciation. Those stories, those people, that, that music, the energy, you don't see that in Hollywood. You just do not. There's no representation of Puerto Rican and Dominican people. A lot of times when you have like Latinx people who are in movies, they completely sanitize them to the point you would think that they were white. And, you know, like Jennifer Lopez, she made a whole career on doing somebody who maybe she might be Latinx, but mm -hmm. she's kind of white. And the only time she was very clearly a Latin, a Latin Latina sister was when she did Made in Manhattan. And it was this weird movie where it's like, yeah, you're a maid, but this white man's about to glow you up. So I love In the Heights. I'm gonna watch it again. It is a phenomenal movie. It is a great story. Having said that, they dropped the ball on like colorism. I don't blame that on Lin-Manuel Miranda or the director. I think that's more reflective of Hollywood because it's hard enough to get dark-skinned people into movies with major speaking roles as it is now. So I don't doubt at all that the execs were pushing them on a casting and they had to get the green light on the casting because this was such a big budget movie. They spent about $54 million on there. Altogether, they spent about 200 million. They need to make 250 to, to be in the green, to make money. So those execs were definitely putting their pain on there. And Lin-Manuel, I appreciate his apology, but let's not act like that Hollywood hasn't done this to black movies as well. And he raised black people in all these experiences. So let's stop beating up on Lin-Manuel and let's start beating up on the people who are the actual problem, Hollywood. Mm. Mm. So very interesting. Jolanda Small left a comment via Facebook saying, I'm a black person and feel like he didn't do anything wrong. Dr. Terry Witt Bailey also left a comment via LinkedIn. She says, I still applaud Miranda's efforts. He has done more to diversify mu movies and musicals than any modern day artist. He has apologized, but he has also given spotlight to many we haven't seen before. So definitely mixed reactions there. It's so funny because another person who came to the defense of Lin-Manuel uh, uh, Miranda was actress, legendary Puerto Rican actress, Rita Moreno, who essentially said, uh, 
we don't put the blame on Lynn for the lack of representation of dark-skinned Afro-Latinx. I actually have her direct quote on Stephen Colbert. She said, and I quote, I'm simply saying, can't you just wait a while and leave it alone? It would be so nice if they hadn't come, come up with that and left it alone. Just for now. I mean, they're attacking the wrong person. Uh, you know, Stanley, she almost sounds, some of her comments almost sound like what you said. We're attacking the wrong person. Do you agree with Rita Moreno's uh, take and defense of Lynn Manuel Miranda? So, I I mean, I don't like everything she said, but she's not 100% wrong. Like, we are blaming the wrong people. you you got to look at the Hollywood execs. But the fact of the matter is, when she says you got to wait, no, we're tired of waiting. Right. And, like, why do Afro-Latinx people have to get erased from everything? And, like, we just got to a point where you could have a dark-skinned person starring in a movie. So Afro-Latinx people have to wait another 25 years? Is this what we're doing over here? Come on. Karina, I want to get your response as well to uh, her comments. Um, I do think I love Lynn Manuel Miranda and I feel like he's one of our own. Like he he really showed out for us and he really does diversify um a lot of the entertainment realm, right? But she did brush the Afro-Latinx struggle under the rug. And she tried to come to Lynn Miranda's defense by doing what generation of Latinos do, unfortunately, when we are faced with the issue of colorism. When we start to talk about the truth behind how we deal with colorism in our own families, in our own communities, we brush it under the rug and we still do it to this day. And right, we do it with the veil of, because, okay, so a little, background, right? If you're a Caribbean Latinx person, you're mixed with African descent, uh, European descent, and Taino descent, right? So you're a mestiza. So we hide under the veil of that mixed race to say, we're not racist. There's no way we can be racist because uh, we're mixed. But that's not true. There is colorism. We do see it. White uh, white passing Latinos get treated differently than darker passing Latinos. And that's just the fact of the matter. And so what she did was very symbolic of what generations of Latinx people continue to do. And we have to take accountability for that. And Lin-Manuel, I'm so proud of him for, for apologizing because he has to take accountability too. That just I am. I'm proud that he apologized and also said that he is taking this time to listen and learn. So the pioneer left a comment via YouTube saying, uh, this move, this movie didn't accidentally leave out Afro Latinos. It was done on purpose. Uh, the pioneer goes on to say there is currently a lot of ethnic cleansing going on throughout Latin America, and it has been going on for decades. Karina, can you can you speak to that in those comments? I don't know if it's that um, extreme. I, I wouldn't want to say that it's that extreme, but it is definitely uh, there's a history of of ethnic cleansing for in particular in the Dominican Republic. Um, we had Trujillo who was a dictator in the forties and fifties who literally built his regime on mejorando la raza, which means whitening the race. Right. And so we're all like trying to live through these, um, these nuances and we're all trying to unlearn and unpack these things. But the truth is that they do exist and that whether it be subconscious or not, there is a removal of Afro-Latinx representation that happens. Um, and it's worth noting that it's even transferred over to first generation Latinos too. Um, and we have to be accountable for that. For example, in New York, we also hide under the veil of diversity. 
New York is so diverse. There's no way we can be racist. There, no, there's no way we can see color. But the reality is, is that it's the people of color who are marginalized, and it's the people of color who are um, who feel the brunt of society and of of the disproportionate um, behavior fr from the government onto us. And so, um, I think I don't disagree 100% with, with what he's saying, but I do think it's extreme. I don't think is that forthcoming as he mentioned it to be. Well, speaking of, of ethnic cleansing, and, and thank you for uh, speaking to that, Karina, the pioneer goes on to say, when I was a kid, nearly half of the Puerto Ricans in New York were black, not the ones they showed you on television, but the ones you see in, in, in real life. Now you go there and most are light skinned. Stanley, what are your thoughts about ethnic cleansing going on in Latin America and countries uh, like Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, et cetera? I mean, yeah, it's 100% a fact. And I think Karina did a good job of mentioning Trujillo because that's really a great example of when it happened. And for the record, Trujillo was as dark as I am. Like Trujillo was dark, black. It was anti-blackness that was causing this. Um, and it was a period in the Dominican Republic in the 1800s or 1900s where they opened up the borders for Europeans in a hope of like helping us to like whitewash the, the country. But Let's not act like just like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and people in Latinx countries are just naturally racist or white supremacists. They are absolutely not. What was happening in a lot of those countries were they had already been liberated from slavery by like fighting for their freedom. But now if they wanted their countries to be acknowledged by Western civilization, which mm -hmm. you for trade and for money, you had to prove you are as far away from those African savages as these dirty white people said as possible. So what did you do? You had to move away from blackness. You had to show that you were a Catholic and you were a Christian and that you loved Jesus. And you weren't doing the voodoo and a Santaria and a Santa Muerto. You were, you, were, you were doing everything you could to show that you were white. And it was a part of them trying to survive and build. And then what happens over a course of time, it becomes socialized in your mind that black is bad, white is good. European great, even though it means your back goes from your shoulders to your knees, you have no lips and your food is nasty. But it lets you survive in a world that is dominated by white supremacy. So yes, there's been deep harm done in Latinx, Latinx countries and communities because of anti-blackness, but let's remember where that anti-blackness comes from. Those people, those communities are not inherently anti-black. Dominicans are not inherently anti-black. And by the way, Dominican Republic is a black nation. Well, thank you, Stanley, so much for pointing out just what's at the roots of this, which is colonialism and white supremacy and uh, co the colonization of these countries, which have, you know, a lot of us have internalized. But, you know, another issue that anti-blackness has caused is tension between the black and Latinx communities and even within the Latinx community when it comes to those who are darker skin and lighter skin. Uh, Karina, can you sort of talk about that? Have you experienced any of this tension and, and what would you say needs to be done to heal? I think we're all fighting the same white supremacy monster um, because like Stanley said, and like you just mentioned, it stems from colonization. Uh, but I do think that there, two things need to happen. I think for Latinx people in particular, we have to be honest with ourselves about our roots and about who we are. We are of African descent, period. No matter what anybody tries to say, right? That's number one. But number two, we also carry a level of privilege in America that while we're also marginalized and and we're also uh, people of color and considered people of color. We're not, we don't always get the shortest end of the stick. And so we have to use some of that privilege to stand together and be honest about both those identities because there's a duality that does exist, especially if you're a white passing Latinx person, which 
I consider myself Afro-Latina, but I mean, that it depends on who you're talking to, right? Like some people may say, yeah, you're white passing. Some people say you're not. I mean, it just depends. But we, the, the reality is, is that we live in this duality that we need to accept and be honest about um, so that we can then overcome this problem together. Absolutely. Stanley, what are your thoughts about uh, just the tension between these communities? We know you also live in Harlem, uh, which is a few blocks down from Washington Heights. You grew up in Brooklyn and you've you know, spoken to me offline saying that you've seen some of the tension or maybe even experienced it. Yeah. Well, like, first off, I want to say, like I said, when we talked about this before, I'm biased. Like the, the Dominicans, that's, those are my three most primas. That's family right there. Like, I don't like I feel a very close kinship to people from the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and like all like Afro-Caribbean Latinx folks as well. Having said that, I've dealt with anti-blackness from those same communities. Whether it was a kid when I was 13 years old and I had a crush on Puerto Rican Desiree and her mom said, you can't date him because he's a Moreno. Or when I got to college and I got to Old Westbury and like I gravitated towards a lot of the Dominican kids and they didn't want to hang out with me because I was a black guy. Like they didn't want to chill with me. Having said that, the real problem and the real issue is white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And we cannot remove that from our purview. White supremacy is what causes this. And we are all trying to survive from the harm that white people and whiteness and colonialism and slavery has done to all of us. And we are better set up if we work together. The reason that Haiti was such a powerful country and they were so afraid of them was the, because Haiti didn't just liberate themselves. They then helped DR liberate themselves. Then they helped Venezuela and half of South America liberate themselves. And if they were to continue to work with those countries and not try so hard to be accepted by white people, just like other countries did, we'd be in a different place right now. I stand in solidarity with my Latinx sisters and brothers all day, every day. Absolutely. So, you know, Stanley, and just to take it back to the movie, when we understand the legacy and how pervasive white supremacy has been around the diaspora, especially in Latinx communities, and we understand this history, um, I feel like it almost puts a, a weight on creators of color, right? When it comes to creating things, because it's like you have to represent and be extra inclusive because Hollywood has been, you know, keeping us out, especially our darker tone brothers and sisters for so long. So if we do have a platform, you have to make sure you include everyone. Karina, do you think creators of color carry a greater responsibility to their communities? And if so, is it unfair? <laughs> it's unfair, but it, you know, they do have a responsibility that, I mean, that th this is part of the struggle. This is part of what we're trying to overcome. And if so heavy is the, the head that wears the crown, right? If you're put in a position to help out and to represent, then you have to take a, a bigger approach and a bigger look at who you're representing and how um, you are making your people come across to look right. Um, and, and, and part of that, part of your art is helping to push us forward. And so you do carry that responsibility, unfortunately, but fortunately too, because you're given the opportunity to do so. So I think that that pressure does exist, but I think it's necessary. Stanley, do you think that sometimes the pressure is too much, especially particularly in this case, the pressure we're putting on Lin-Manuel Miranda to, to almost like perfectly encapsulate all the countries, ethnicities and skin tones into this one movie? Uh, and also, do you think that these creators of color are expected to meet higher standards than their white counterparts. Yes, they are. And I think a lot of times we punish black and brown people like in every space, creators, professionally, everywhere, 
for the sins of dusty, mediocre, corny, smelly white people. And then because they did all this harm to us, we're looking at Lin-Manuel Miranda, we're looking at Gina Rodriguez, we're looking at Jay-Z, and we're saying that like you need to do all these things and we're gonna lash out at you because these white people did this harm to us. And we have to remember, there is a responsibility for them to show up and represent and stand for and with our people and to not be Kungus Owens, but at the same time, they are suffering from the same systems of white supremacy as the rest of us. And I also want to get some context for the way we think about this. The pioneer has been going off in the comment sections. And at 2.46 PM, they said something that, that is really helpful for folks to understand like what we're dealing with here. Just being Latino doesn't mean you are not white or not black. Latino is just a culture. Spanish is just a language, but it has different races within. It's important to understand this to make sense of how racism works here. And that's very, very true. So you can have black Latinx folks, you can have white Latinx mm -hmm. folks, you can have folks who are like mixed race. It's just the culture. And if folks don't even understand that baseline, of course you're gonna have situations where the casting looks the way it does and in the heights because these white people don't understand and they definitely don't care. I do want to say to your point, Stanley, because um, I'd be remiss without saying this. I agree with you that we shouldn't like blame and fault and point fingers only at one person or only at the creative. There should be a level of grace because of everything that you said. But I do think that there is a responsibility. Um, I, I go back to my statement in that I think that in, in knowing everything that uh, we're trying to overcome together, um, there should be. You know, I, I love Lin Manuel. I love him, and I love the work that he did. And like I said in, initially, when this um, segment started, I felt pride at watching this movie. He did a great job with it, but he he missed with this, and that and we have to hold them responsible. That's our job as journalists is to hold people accountable for what they miss. And it doesn't mean attack them. It just means do better next time, or let's keep learning, let's keep growing together. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, Karina. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for that, Karina. So, I mean, as we continue to, to learn and grow, what do the next steps look like? I mean, we're having these tough conversations. Lynn Manuel, you know, also admitted uh, to so sort of missing the mark when he apologized. But, you, you know, it, it's still something that's very pervasive in Hollywood. And we know how far representation goes. Like that imagery seeps into our psyches and, and, and creates how we think about ourselves. Right. And that's a lot of times why we internalize these bias and, and end up you know, giving heed to so many stereotypes. What needs to be done to prevent this pattern of behavior? I mean, we're at a point where we, we see it, we acknowledge it, we're talking about it. What's next, Stanley? So one of the most important and radical things you can do is arm yourself with education and knowledge. So there's a couple of really good books and um, scholarly essays that you can read if you want to better understand anti-Blackness within the Latin diaspora. So one of my favorite ones is a scholarly, scholarly essay from um, Dr. Silvio Torres Salant. It's called Introduction to Dominican Blackness. It's about a 70 page document and we'll make sure we tweet it out so folks can find it because the PDF is available for free. And it really talks about the history of anti-blackness in the Dominican Republic. It makes an argument that the Dominican Republic is a black nation. It just happens to be that they speak Spanish out there. Um, mm -hmm. You can also find a good book, Multiracials and Civil Rights, the Mixed Race Stories of Discrimination by Tanya Cateri Hernandez, who does a really good job of talking about the contribution of Latinx folks and Afro-Latinos to the civil rights movement. There are millions of books that folks can be reading to arm themselves in education, and you should be having conversations with your friends and family. Because the fact of the matter is we are all impacted and a little poisoned by white supremacy, and we have to do the work to decolonize our minds. It starts with us. Yes. Thank you for that. I want to go to a comment from Kika 
who says Lynn Manuel apologized because the movie tanked. He is a New Yorker who has been to the Heights. The Heights is black, period. Uh, and also the pioneer chimed in saying, even right now, if a black person says they are Latino, most people will look at them funny. Why? Because there aren't, we aren't, there aren't uh, used to seeing black Latinos in the media. So they don't even think they exist. Uh, Karina, as we begin to wrap up, you know, I, I think that both of those two comments represent a, a very large part of how people in the community feel that sentiment. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say needs to be done as next steps so that there is representation and that everyone uh, uh, feels represented and, and we have a more inclusive environment, especially in Hollywood? I think it's like what Stanley said, it's being honest with ourselves uh, about our identities, about um, the root of the problem, where the problem stems from, and being honest with each other, having those difficult conversations and um, learning how to stick together and taking responsibility and accountability, right? Like we need to take responsibility for the things that we say, for the choices that we make, for the art that we create. Art is beautiful because it should just be what it is. Um, but we, we're also responsible in the way that we portray our narratives because there aren't enough stories being told. There just aren't. And so with that comes a lot of responsibility. So I would just say um, having more conversations, educating yourselves, um, being honest with yourself about your identity, who you are, um, because that that's another problem that I guess we'll discuss on another day. But a lot of Latinx people don't identify with their actual roots. And that's a, a whole nother issue to begin with. And there's no way you can combat anything if you don't know who you are, right? So all of that mixed in together. Yes, no, thank you so much for that. We appreciate your comments on it, Karina. You as well, Stanley. I'll just end this segment by saying, you know, Hollywood has a really long way to go when it comes to representing darker skinned folks in general, especially those of the Latinx community. But I do think that the solution definitely involves continuing to have these very nuanced and complicated conversations, very uncomfortable conversations about what is happening. Uh, and, you know, the, the Karina made the point earlier about, you know, it's okay to love something but still wants it to be better, right? It's okay to call out Lynn. It's okay to call out any, you know, leaders, whether they're in politics or Hollywood, whatever it is, we have to hold people accountable because that's the only way we're gonna push to see the change that we need to see. And, you know, earlier when we talked about Rita Moreno's, uh, Moreno's comment about Lynn manuel it's so funny because again, she has a legendary Puerto Rican actress. When she was in the West Side, she had to play a co-star while Natalie Wood played, who is a white woman, played the leading part as a Puerto Rican woman. So it, again, this issue stems very, very deeply. Uh, and I think that we have to make sure that we're understanding how it has affected us and the rhetoric that we use when we're talking about it so that we can continue to push for positive change and progression. On that note, we are actually going to end this show by paying tribute to fathers. Again, it is Father's Day and we wanna pay tribute to black fathers at that. Um, and I wanted to actually honor the Dad Gang. They had their second annual March of Dads in Brooklyn, New York uh, to celebrate Father's Day this year. It included sponsorship from Ciroc and Fat Joe was there as well, just joining the community of conscious 
dads who understand how prevalent it is for them to show up and be visible and really counter that narrative that black fathers aren't there. That is not the case. That is a stereotype. And we need to make sure that we're celebrating all of the black men, the black fathers who are stepping in to raise children, who are stepping in to be community leaders and who are just doing a good job. So I just wanna salute you guys again. I wanna shout out Sean Williams. He is the founder of the Dad Gang. And he actually said in a report to CBS New York, the reason why he started this foundation was because a white woman in Long Island said, Oh, or, or, while he was with his children, oh, I I'm glad to see that you stuck around. And he knew that was not a compliment. That was the the shadiest of shade and, and a microaggression, you know, as, as we could tell. And he said, you know what? I'm going to start something to really change the narrative. And he's doing a great job at that. So congratulations, Sean. Congratulations to the Black, the dad gang and all the Black fathers. And on that note, Please remember to continue to support Be Heard Talk. You can do that by going to buy me a coffee slash Be Heard Talk. And your donation, whether small or large, remember it does a great deal in helping us to support and amplify the issues and causes that you care about. So until next week, enjoy the rest of your Sunday and I'll see you again. Take care.